Amen. Well, Aloha Church, peace be with you. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Um, throughout the last 2,000 years, the church found itself in various of situations, um, times of abundance and prosperity, and also times of famine and need, um, health or sickness and plagues. The church found itself enjoying freedom and liberty to practice their religion or be persecuted and to die for their faith. Um, and to add to that list, um, today majority of the world's Christians are not able to gather together. But the church throughout the thousands of years proved itself resilient. And we believe that God will carry us through even in this time. I saw a meme this morning my father-in-law sent me. Um, it said, the church might be empty, but so is the tomb. Um, and that is true. The tomb is empty, and it's because of the empty tomb that we gather today. Uh, and this morning, we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's a long chapter. We're not going to cover all of it, um, but there's some key elements that we want to look at this morning. So if you have your Bibles, would you open, open your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. Now I remind you, brothers... Of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance that I, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with Scripture's. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to the one un untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and, you're, and you are still in your sin. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact... Christ has been raised from the dead, 
the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all have died, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is expected who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Otherwise, what do people mean by, ba- by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? I pr- protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain, if humanly speaking? I fought with beasts at Ephesus. If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we will die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of a body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but the bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body, and he has chosen, as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for stars differ from star and glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so, are, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image 
of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must be put on the for this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on imperishable, and the moral puts mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not vain. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you made a way. We thank you that we are not left to die in these perishable bodies, but you give us hope in Jesus through his resurrection. And Father, as we uh, look at the resurrection of Jesus, and as we see the promises that apply to us that we will resurrect, Lord, I pray that these truths would just penetrate our hearts. As we look at the doctrine of the resurrection, Lord, may you display us your goodness and your power through this text. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, aloha to you, church. Um, I said that, but I say that again for those who maybe are just tuning in. Uh, maybe you're up the road, somewhere on the islands, or somewhere across the world. We welcome all of you and are glad that you can celebrate the risen Savior uh, with us together. So we just read through 1 Corinthians 15. It's a long chapter, a lot going on in there. Um, and in this chapter... Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and the Corinthian church is, is the crazy child of the church family. Um, they had some major issues going on. They had some divisions, lawsuits, moral failures, uh, sexual immorality, um, and they definitely had some theological problems. And so one of those issues that they, was that they started to believe this false teaching that there is no resurrection. They believe that after you die, you just die, you disappear, you no longer exist. And there is no point at which you will come to life again. And so Paul is troubled. Paul planted this church. He spent a lot of time in Corinth, something like 18 months he spent there uh, teaching them and instructing them in the way of Jesus. And so in response to this misunderstanding of the resurrection, in this chapter, Paul lays out the doctrine of the resurrection, how it works, 
and how it will happen. And so in this chapter, we find some of the most powerful passages about the resurrection of Jesus. Um, If you have been a Christian long enough, or not, maybe you're not a Christian, but everybody knows this, and what everybody realizes is that Christians disagree on a lot of stuff. It's no surprise. Some of that stuff is really pointless, just pointless debates. Uh, Some of it is important, but maybe secondary. And we can lovingly disagree. We can lovingly uh, maybe debate about these things. We can wrestle through these things. But here, Paul begins the chapter by laying out doctrines he calls of first importance. Um, And first importance means this is not negotiable. We cannot debate this. We can't argue over this. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, you must believe these things. And so verse 1 we read, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according with the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Paul says it's the message that I brought to you from the very beginning. This is the good news that you have believed. And that good news is that God did not leave us in our sin, but Christ died for our sin, according to Scripture. Christ was buried, and he resurrected, according to Scripture. And this is of first importance. This is the foundation and the building blocks of our faith, and we cannot negotiate on this. And Paul just states this as a matter of fact. Paul's like, if you don't believe me, my words, if you don't believe Scripture, the Old Testament prophecies about this, well, there are over 500 witnesses that knew Jesus, that saw Jesus die, and that saw, and and, and 500 who, more than 500 who saw Jesus resurrected. And Paul's like, most of them are still alive. If you want to go talk to the eyewitnesses, you can still do that. And so, before Paul addresses any theological issues, he lays out the non-negotiables, he sets the table, and he shows them that the foundation of their faith is the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. That's where Paul begins. He tells them, this is what you received, this is what you stand on, and this is how you are being saved. And at this point, we probably need to point out that the Corinthians, most likely, up to this point, wouldn't disagree with Paul. They probably did not deny the resurrection of Jesus. They just didn't believe that that will happen to them. And so, 
we come to verse 12. And this is where Paul begins to speak into their issue. He begins to lay it in them. Verse 12, he says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise. And if it is true that the dead are not raised, if it is true that the dead are not raised, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. And those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And in Christ, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. So if you say that you believe that Christ is risen, how can you then say that there is no resurrection? How can you believe that there is no resurrection? That the, that's the question that Paul poses to them. And then Paul says, all right, let's do this. If what you're saying is true, if there is no resurrection, then for a moment, let's think through this. Let's follow your logic. Let's go down the rabbit trail and suppose that there is no resurrection. What happens then? And here we see a list of at least seven or so implications on what happens if there is no resurrection resurrection. If there is no resurrection, then Christ isn't resurrected. And if Christ isn't resurrected, then Paul's, mine, everyone's preaching is pointless. Proclaiming the gospel is pointless. Witnessing, evangelizing is vain. Not only does the gospel become pointless, but if Christ did not resurrect, then we who preach it are spreading a lie. We are misrepresenting God. If Christ did not resurrect, then our faith is a sham. It's all fake. Reading your Bible, praying, gathering as a church, trusting and believing in God, it's all pointless. Here's a scary one. All of those are scary. But here's one that's just... If Christ did not resurrect, then we are still in our sin. You and I are not forgiven, and God's wrath still remains on us right now at this moment. If Christ did not resurrect, then all of the followers of Jesus that lived for the past thousands of years have all perished and there is no hope for them. If Christ did not resurrect, then to follow Christ gives us hope only for this life. And what's the point of that? If this is true, 
If Christ did not resurrect, then we are a sad, sad people. Paul says we are to be most pitied. Because if Christ did not resurrect, then a Christian life becomes a waste. Without resurrection, Paul shows us we are hopeless. We will not resurrect. Without the resurrection, we are doomed. Without the resurrection, Christmas, Christ being born, is just another cute story. His wonderful life, it's just a great man whose life came to a tragic end through a shameful death on the cross. Without the resurrection, the saving work of Christ did not happen. His death was wasted. But Paul doesn't hold our head underwater for long. Verse 20, Paul's, Paul's like, all right, let's stop speculating now. Let's look at the truth. Let's look at the facts. And verse 20, he says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all died, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Through Adam's sin, death came. And every human being born into this world is already condemned to death because of sin. But through Jesus comes resurrection and life. And the proof of that is the fact that Christ has risen and defeated death. So here's what that means. On the flip side, because Jesus is resurrected, those who are in Christ will also resurrect. Death has no power over us. We will be made alive. Because Jesus resurrected, the preaching of good news of Jesus, the proclamation of the gospel, is not pointless. Evangelism to our friends, neighbors, co-workers is not vain. Because Jesus arose, God is not a liar. But every promise he made was fulfilled, and we can trust him today. Because Jesus resurrected, our faith is real. Because Jesus resurrected, our sin has been dealt with. It has been forgiven, and we are no longer under condemnation, but we are justified. And instead of God's wrath, God made us objects of his love. Because of the resurrection, Jesus will resurrect every follower of Christ that died. Their life for Christ was not pointless, but they will be resurrected to new life. Because Jesus resurrected, we too have hope beyond this life. We look forward to ruling and reigning with Christ in his kingdom forever and ever. And this is not supposedly. 
This is not maybe. This is not what if. But this is our reality today. This is true because Jesus did resurrect. And that is why we celebrate our risen Savior today. We celebrate every Sunday. And hopefully we celebrate every moment of our life. This is the foundation and this is the center of our faith. The resurrected Jesus. That is why he is the object of our worship forever and ever. And here in verse 20 and 23, Paul uses this very interesting word to describe Jesus. He calls them the first fruits. Strange, strange thing to call Jesus. Uh, verse 20, he says, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And 23, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. What does this mean? What does this word mean? What is Paul trying to get across? Um, just imagine, maybe you have a birthday or um, it's Christmas or for no reason, someone just gifts you a tree, a citrus tree. Uh, but they don't tell you what kind of a citrus tree it is. And so you're wondering, is it a lemon? Is it a lime? Uh, what kind of a lime? What kind of a tree is this? And so you plant it, you water it, you fertilize it, and you wait. You wait to see what kind of fruit will this tree give? And so, after some time, your tree produces oranges. And from now on, you know that the rest of the fruit will be exactly like the first. You're going to get oranges. The tree is not going to just switch to limes. And that's what Paul is telling us. When we think of the resurrection... We have many questions. There's many mysteries. But one thing we can do is look to Jesus, the first fruit, and we can know and we can see how we will experience the resurrection. That's what Paul is telling us here. Just like Jesus resurrected, when he comes, we will also resurrect. Just like Jesus got a new body, still a body, spiritual, but it's still a body. He's not just a spirit, but he was a spirit in a body. So we will also resurrect and have bodies. This body, the body that you have right now, is marked by the first Adam. It's weak. We get fatigued, we get sick, it's dishonorable, it's perishable. Verse 42, Paul says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. What is sown, it is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory, it is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. When our bodies fail, when our bodies finally give up, what is sown is weakness. What is sown is perishable. But Paul says, 
the new bodies, when we arise, will be like Christ. They will be raised to glory. They will be imperishable. They will be powerful, honorable, and they will be sinless. Church, we look to Jesus and his resurrection to see exactly what will be with us. And the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, the same power that raised our dead spirits to life and brought us to God, that same power will resurrect us when he comes. It's not a baby. It's not a what if, but this is a sure hope that we have today. And so Paul, he looks ahead. He sees this vision of the arrival of King Jesus. And he sees that great day, and he can't hold back. He exclaims in verse 51. He says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep or be dead. That's what sleep means. But we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immorality, then immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Church, these are some of the most powerful words that we have in all of Scripture. We look at Jesus' resurrection and we see that he defeated death once and for all. And when we resurrect, we too shall proclaim death. Where is your victory? Where is your sting? Because these mortal bodies, these perishable bodies will be transformed to imperishable, immortal bodies that will never, ever waste away. The victory of death, the the victory of Christ took away the power of death. On the third day, when Jesus, the first fruit, walked out of the tomb, risen and victorious. And now, in light of this reality, In light of the resurrection, knowing what will happen to us on the great day, on the last day, knowing that that will happen as a matter of fact, how then are we to live today? How does this truth impact us today? And here in our text, we have two examples. We have an example of Paul. And we have an example of some of those who were in Corinth. The Corinthians, some of them were completely disregarding the holy life that God has called them to. They were living lives of sexual immorality. 
of drunkenness and sin. And Paul says something very interesting to them. He says, if the dead are not raised, then let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we will die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. Paul's like, if the dead are not raised, if there is no resurrection, then yeah, it totally makes sense. It totally makes sense to party your life away in sin. We'll die and no longer be if we will not resurrect. So let's enjoy Let's party. Let's go out with a bang. Or not. You can do whatever you want. Who cares? If we follow this logic, if there is no resurrection, then the only logical thing for us to do is to be total nihilists and to waste our life away. But Paul then says, Don't be deceived. Don't fool yourselves. The resurrection will happen. Wake up from your drunken stupor. Your life matters. What you do today, how you live, it matters. So the question, hopefully some of us are asking At the resurrection, Paul just laid it out what will happen to those who are in Christ. But what happens to those who are not followers of Christ? God's kingdom is a kingdom of light. The only way to inherit and to be a part of God's kingdom is to be transformed from a weak, perishable body to an immortal body. Verse 50, Paul says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. The only way to be a part of God's kingdom is to be resurrected with an imperishable body like Jesus. All will resurrect. The Bible is clear. The entire human race that has ever lived, all will resurrect. I don't know what kind of a body you will have if you're not in Christ. We know you'll, you'll resur- will resurrect, but those who are not in Christ, I don't know what kind of a body you will have, but the Bible is very clear about where that body is going. And that is ultimate perish, ultimate destruction, and that is eternity in hell. That sounds harsh. But the Bible is very clear. God hasn't hidden this message. It's been proclaimed loud and clear from the very beginning. Even if you look around us, it's obvious that this world is not okay. 
humanity is not okay. We are in the middle of a pandemic. Death is on the front page of every newspaper. Even in our own lives, sin and weakness is real to all of us. Every human being is born already condemned to death because we are all born under the curse of sin. The body we have is the body we inherited from Adam who utterly failed and we also failed with him in our sin. And so the natural end, the natural result is eternal destruction in hell. It's a wide open highway to hell and every one of us was on it. But that is not the way God intended it to be. And so from the very beginning of humanity, from the very start, from Genesis, God proclaims the good news that God saves sinners. God saves weak people like us. God is on a mission to transfer us from darkness into life. God is giving out life. God is giving out new bodies to everyone. It's not a secret. It's been proclaimed for thousands and thousands of years. As old as humanity is, that has been the message from the very beginning. God is out to give us life. God is out to give you an immortal body that will not perish. And so the question is, how can I get a body that does not perish? How do I make sure that I resurrect to life and to glory on that great day? And that's the best question you can ask yourself. Congress has given out 1200 bucks per adult right now. Everybody's stoked about it. God is giving out new bodies. God is giving out resurrection that cannot be compared to any riches in this world. And so Jesus answers that question. That question is answered in the Gospel of John, chapter 11. <clears throat> chapter 11, verse 25 <clears throat> Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then Jesus asks, do you believe in me? Do you believe this? The only way to be sure that when you die, you will live, that you will resurrect with an imperishable body like Jesus, is to believe in Jesus. It is to trust in him as your Savior and Lord. Resurrection and life is only through him. Adam screwed it up. You and I, we screwed it up. Jesus made it right. And just like through Adam we inherited death, 
so now through Jesus today, this very moment, you can inherit life. Recognize that you have sinned against the king of the universe. You have violated the law of a holy God. And repent. Repent from your sin. Ask for forgiveness and turn away from living for yourself and for your glory and instead live for God. And if this happens in your life, if this happened in your life, then you have been transformed from darkness and death and destruction, eternal punishment. You have been transformed into eternal life. The resurrection is guaranteed to you today. You will resurrect like Jesus. We saw how some were deceived in Corinth. They lived the life of sin. It was just a natural progression of the logic that we won't be resurrect that we won't resurrect. So what's the matter? But how should life look for those who are convinced, those who hope, those who look forward to the resurrection? Here's how Paul did it. He says that he was in danger every hour. Paul says, I'm ready to die every day. At any moment, death can come. Yet he continued the mission that God has set before him. He continued to proclaim the good news of Jesus to the world despite the danger. Paul counted it all loss for the sake of Jesus. And by the standards of this world, Paul wasted his life. It's true. He wasted it away. He was reckless. But that is the essence of the gospel. To gain in God's kingdom, we must lose in this kingdom. The gospel gives us freedom to be selfless. It gives us freedom to be low, to be weak for the sake of Jesus. Because we know, Paul knew, the glory that was, that was awaiting him at the resurrection. Most of us are not even close to experiencing what Paul experienced. But weakness defines us all. Sickness is always near. We are fragile beings. But because Jesus rose from the grave, we are a hopeful people. And we can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God that is ours at the coming of Christ. And so because Jesus, is, Jesus resurrected, death for us just becomes sleep. It's a momentary thing. And life will be much better afterwards. And when we resurrect, we will have bodies but they will be glorified. And those bodies, we will no longer be lonely. 
We will no longer experience loss. There won't be evil or sin. There won't be guilt or shame, discouragement. There won't be quarantine. No more stay-at-home orders forever. No more sickness, death, pain, suffering. No more fear. No worries. No viruses. But what we will have is eternal glory, rejoicing forever, praising and worshiping the King of Kings. And it is all because Jesus rose from the grave and defeated sin and death. Christ is risen, church. Let's pray. Father, this is such great news. And this news is not limited to a few. This is to the entire world. You proclaim this to all. You invite all of us to come and feast at your table. Lord, it is because of your great work, your death, your life, and your resurrection that we have hope, not only in this life, but even greater in the life that is to come. Lord, it is not uh, some sort of a mirage. It is not some sort of a maybe, but it is for sure that there will come a day when we will resurrect in our new bodies and that we will experience the beautiful life with you forever in your kingdom. We are so thankful for that, God. We're so thankful that you transferred us out of darkness into light. And Father, for those who do not know you this morning, those who have not experienced that, maybe they've even heard this over and over again throughout their life, Father, I pray that your spirit would move this morning, that you would reveal the desperate state, that you would show them, show us our sin. And Father, help us see our weakness and help us, Lord, to cast ourselves on Jesus on the power of Jesus, who is able and who is mighty to save us in this moment right now, who will resurrect those who are in him. Father, I pray that you would do your work today, right now. Even as we are cooped up in our homes, Lord, be with us. May your spirit move amongst us. Father, for those who are yours, but they are maybe find themselves in fear or anxiety they don't know what's next. The, the unknown, it, 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 it's unsettling. It's unsettling to all of us. Father, this morning I pray that we would be reminded of what is sure, of what is to come, and what will be forever ours. And may we rejoice in that this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.